The Bible reading this morning is from 1 John 4, and we're reading from verse 7. 1 John 4 Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. For those listening to the sermon from the recording, we also listened to a song by Lincoln Park called What I've Done, which was recorded in 2007. And you can find this on YouTube if you're interested. We are not playing this as part of the recording. Well, you weren't expecting that on Good Friday, were you? (laughs) And the secret's out, my taste of music. So what I've done, the video shows all kinds of uh, sin in the world, environmental issues like pollution and global warming, uh, social decay, it shows, like addictions and racism and starvation and obesity and inequality and terrorism and warfare and nuclear and poverty and destruction, crimes committed by humanity. You might not like their music, but they do put their finger in quite a poetic way, on what the problem is in the world. When we think about what humanity has done, we are rightly ashamed, and ought to be ashamed. For there is something deeply wrong with humanity and with the world. And I felt that that video captures that quite poignantly. But the song actually goes even deeper than that. It's not called what they've done. It's not even called what we have done. It's called what I have done. And so there is a certain ownership. When we dare to consider what we ourselves have done, there aren't many of us who aren't ashamed by things that lie in the past. In our honest moments, when we dare to think about what we've done, we do feel ashamed, unacceptable, and unlovable. Lincoln Park says, erase myself and let go of what I've done, cross out what I've become. The song expresses a very human need, a very human desire. Deep down, all of us long for a clean slate. It's interesting, many people turn to religion for a clean slate. They think, if I can be moral, if I can be well-behaved, if, then I can have a clean slate. I'll erase myself and what I've done, and then I'll be acceptable and lovable. And yet deep down we sense that actually we are unacceptable to a righteous and a holy God who knows everything we have ever done. And so we get onto the treadmill, and we turn over a new leaf, and we pull up our socks, and we make New Year's resolutions, and we go on diet, and we read the next self-help book. In spite of our best efforts, we feel that nothing is ever enough. We've got to keep doing those things, and the treadmill never stops. Our slates never get completely and permanently clean. We've got to keep wiping 
We've got to keep achieving. We've got to keep on maintaining. We're on a treadmill with no stop button. And so we feel unloved. We feel unacceptable. We feel that we keep missing the mark. And our answer to it is work harder, try harder, do better, reach higher. The human problem, though, is actually much more than just our feelings of failure and inadequacy. The bad news of the Christian message is that our problem actually is God. God is our problem. For God is angry with sin. Our culture lampoons and mocks the doctrine of the wrath of God. But actually that is a foolishness. For imagine a God who is not angry with sin. Imagine a God who is indifferent to the terrible things that humanity has done. Imagine a God who turns a blind eye and just sweeps things under the carpet. Would such a God be worthy of worship? And so here is the problem. We want, we actually deep down want a God who punishes sin, but we need a God who forgives us. It's one thing to talk about what they have done, but it's another thing to talk about what I have done. It's one thing to say they deserve God's wrath, but it's another thing to say actually I deserve God's wrath. And how will I survive when God's wrath comes on me? And so we need a God who is both just and loving. And how can that be? Well, the answer is Good Friday. To help us understand the meaning of Good Friday, we need to come to terms with a word that theologians use that is not often used in our culture. It's the word propitiation. It is actually there in the Bible reading, um, not in the NIV, if that is the translation that you are using, but in verse 10, uh, the NIV says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And you might have a footnote which says, As a propitiation for our sins, for that is the word in the Greek. Propitiation means to satisfy or to remove the wrath of God. Um, it's a temple word, wherever sacrifices are made. And so I want to show you three things about propitiation on this Good Friday. Number one, the need for propitiation. Verse 10, again, it says that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, and he has the key phrase, for our sins. A propitiation is required for our sins. We often talk about the fact that the death of Jesus removes our sin from us, and of course that is true. Uh, on the cross, as Jesus dies, and as we put our trust in his death, a very significant change takes place in us. Our sin is removed from us, from all, for all those who put their trust in God and who rely on the death of Jesus for salvation. In a moment, in an instant, in the minute that you do that, your sins are removed from you. But what these verses are saying is that on the cross, a significant change takes place in God, for his wrath is satisfied. The removal of sin from us, which is a true and a wonderful fact that happens on Good Friday, is called expiation. But the removal of wrath 
from a righteous God is called propitiation. Both things are true. The Bible teaches both. And both things happen the minute you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' death removes something from us, our sin, but it also removes something from God, his wrath. Richard Dawkins says the following, The God of the New Testament wanted to forgive mankind its sins. Why didn't he just forgive them? Why was it necessary to have a human sacrifice? to have his son tortured and executed in order that the sins of mankind should be absolved. Is that not disgusting? Dawkins raises an important objection to the cross. You can understand his objection, can't you? Why can't God just forgive and forget? Isn't that what's required of us? Why should our forgiveness require blood? That's not true between us. I can forgive you. If you hurt my feet, I don't have to sacrifice something before I can forgive you. I can just forgive you. Why doesn't God simply forgive us? Aren't we required to forgive each other? Why can't he practice what he preaches? But that is to misunderstand the nature of sin and the nature of God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness and God's forgiveness is very different, for we are not God. Sometimes when we forgive, what we mean is, don't worry about it. We call that amnesty. Don't worry about it. It's swept under the carpet. But of course, that's to my advantage because the next time I hurt your feelings, well, then you owe me one. Don't worry about it. Sometimes our forgiveness is more like parole. I'll forgive you, but step out of line once more and you're in for it. That is, our forgiveness is conditional upon your future performance. And we'll see how that works out. But God's forgiveness is not amnesty, sweeping it under the carpet. God's forgiveness is not parole, conditional, and waiting for you to fail. See, our problem is not only that we do naughty things, where amnesty or parole might be sufficient. Our problem is much deeper than that. The Bible is clear that the problem of sin, the root attitude of sin is that we have substituted God with ourselves. We live our own way, we speak our own way, we treat people our own way, we live as we please with no reference to God, except of course when we might need something from him. The world revolves around us. We are selfish and self-centered. Our anger, our needs, our lust our desires. And when we treat God like that, we are saying that God isn't God and that we are the final authority in our lives. It's a very common human attitude. It's my life. Nobody tells me what to do. I will live it the way I please. And so we replace God with ourselves. And look at how that's worked out for us. Look at the mess we've made pretending to be God. And I think Lincoln Park represent that quite well. God is rightly angry with us for that, for it is a denial of his good and right rule in the world. And so the wrath of God is not arbitrary anger. It's not unpredictable rage. It's not a temper tantrum. 
It's much worse than those things. God's wrath is wait until your father gets home. Do you remember that? When my mother got angry with me as a child and, and gave me the wooden spoon, it was, I could handle that. It was, it was over in a moment. It was fine. A bit traumatic, but it was okay. But when she said, for that offense, wait until your father gets home, then I knew this was a different league. This is a different category now of trouble. For now he's got two or three hours actually to, first of all, calm down, and secondly, think about an appropriate punishment. That was much worse. Give me the hiding any moment, any day. I'd take that any day. See, God's anger, friends, is measured and considered, and it's just, and it's pure, and it's righteous. A holy God will not sweep mutiny under the carpet. We should not ask, as Dawkins does, why does God find it difficult to forgive? We should ask, how does God find it possible to forgive? And so secondly, the provision of propitiation. The idea of sacrifice is not unique, of course, to Christianity. Um, All man-made religions try to deal with the what-I-have-done problem with sacrifice. At my previous church, we across the road from us, there was a Hindu temple on this side. And on this side of us, there was a, a mosque. We were between a rock and a hard place. And behind the mosque, there was a big charismatic prosperity church. And next to them, there was a Baptist church. We were a food court of religion. You could go and take your pick any day of the week. And we became quite good friends with the Hindus next door to us. They used our parking and we used their parking sometimes. And we tried to be good neighbors to them. And one day, Kavan, who was the leader of the Hindu temple, rang me up and he said, Grant, you know that we believe all all roads lead to the top of the mountain? I said, yes. He said, I want my people to come and hear what the true meaning of of Christianity is. Do you mind? I said, well, let me think about that. Yes, we'd love to have you. He said, can I bring a few people on Easter Sunday? I said, how many would you like to bring? Oh, no, we'll just bring 200. I said, we'd love to have you, Kavan. Come. And they came. What a wonderful opportunity that was. And uh, what dear people they are. After I preached, um, I was stepping down from the stage, and Kavan and some of his other leaders came up to me, and they said this to me. We want to hear more about this. Will you come to our temple on Thursday night? We can give you 15 minutes and you could tell us more. I said, Kavan, I'd love to come and I need 25 minutes. He said, done. So I went. And uh, we had to take off our shoes and the women sat on one side and the men on the other. And I brought a bunch of people from our church. And they sang Hindu songs. And then I had an opportunity to stand up and preach to them. But I noticed at the front of the uh, temple, there was an empty seat, a big, luxurious chair with all kinds of fruit and flowers and incense in front of it. I thought that it was the guest speaker's chair. I was making my way to go and have a seat there on the chair. And then I was told, oh, no, no, that's for one of our gurus called Sai Baba in the hope that he will rise from the dead. That chair is just ready waiting for him. I said, what's all that fruit and flowers in there for? They said, Sacrifices. Sacrifices. 
in Hinduism, fruit and flowers and food and incense, that is how they do propitiation. Every religion does it. So what is the difference between Good Friday and my friends next door at the Hindu temple? There is a profound difference. In other religions, it's always human beings who bring the sacrifice. Bowls of fruit or animals or money or flowers. But the Bible teaches us that we've got nothing to bring that satisfies God. I've got nothing to offer him. My religion, my good works, my niceness, my morality, none of that impresses God. He doesn't need that. There's nothing I can bring to the table. There's nothing I can do to make myself acceptable to God. Not my moral goodness, nor my religious fervor. Look at Psalm 51 verse 16. God has said this for centuries. He has the psalmist saying, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. That is why religious sacrifices have to be made over and over and over again. It's never enough. The gods are never satisfied. So what is the difference? The difference is verse 10. Look at who provides the sacrifice in verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Our sin was that we substituted God with ourselves. On the cross, God substitutes us with himself in the person of his dear son. God provides the sacrifice. It's unheard of. We sin. God is angry. God requires a sacrifice. God provides the sacrifice. God the Son is the sacrifice. The only acceptable sacrifice that averts the wrath of God. And so it is God himself who is at the heart of the solution. God's just anger against sin is satisfied by Jesus, the sacrifice, who absorbs in himself the full blast of the wrath of God. God's wrath for the sins of the world is mopped up by the Lord Jesus Christ so that there is not one drop of it left for those who trust in Jesus. John Stott put it well when he said this, It is God himself who in holy wrath needs to be propitiated. God himself who in holy love undertook to do the propitiating. And God himself, who in the person of his Son, died for the propitiation of our sins. There should be a resounding amen at the end of that. <laughs> How magnificent Good Friday was. Thirdly and finally, the result of propitiation. The death of Jesus means that your life will never be the same again. Jesus died so that you don't have to. Jesus faced down the wrath of God so that we don't have to. Good Friday is the death of death for those who trust in Christ. And it brings two seismic changes. Number one, it changes our relationship with God. I, want you to, I wonder if you notice the order in verse 10. 
Let me read it again. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. God's love leads him to send his son. God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loves us. His love precedes the death of Christ. God's love is the source of the death of Christ, not the consequence of the death of Christ. He gave everything that he had. He held nothing back from us in order to satisfy his own righteous wrath and to forgive us fully. Because of the cross, in place of wrath, God now welcomes us, for his wrath is no longer on us. And his forgiveness is not amnesty or parole. It is complete and permanent. And do you know scandalously that it even extends to those things that we haven't yet done? It's an extraordinary thought, that, isn't it? The death of Jesus is so powerful, so magnificent, that you are, if you are trusting in Christ, forgiven today as you sit here for what you will do wrong tomorrow. The cross is a scandal that God should treat us like that. And if there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God, he's done it all then that means that there is nothing that you can do to lose that acceptance. Have you thought about that? You didn't earn it, and therefore you can't lose it. It came from God, his initiative, and his kindness. It's all dependent on his grace, not on your performance. And if that is true, then you are free. That is true freedom. You can get off the treadmill. And you can live in the light of an accepting, loving, welcoming God who is delighted in you because of what Jesus did in your place. And so we're not approaching God on our own terms. We are accepting the death of Jesus and enjoying peace with God now because of Good Friday. And nothing can change that status. Lincoln Park's song ends like this. Today it ends... I'm forgiving what I've done. That's their answer. That's the answer of the world to the problem of what I have done. Their solution to the dirty slate is to learn to forgive themselves. It's a very common technique in our culture, isn't it? You've just got to learn to forgive yourself. But it's not good enough. It doesn't work. On the 20th of July, 2017, the lead singer of Lincoln Park, Chester Bevington, hung himself. There were lots of reasons that led up to that, not least of all childhood trauma. But the slate was never clean. The forgiving himself never took. It never worked. And it resulted and ended in absolute tragedy. Consider how much better the message of Good Friday is. The cross of Christ declares to us that someone outside of ourselves, bigger than us, someone righteous and holy who has seen and knows everything we have done, has put his love on us 
has removed our sins from us, has satisfied his own wrath against us, and now welcomes us into permanent gracious friendship with himself. Nothing is more secure. And so Good Friday reveals our new relationship with God. But you know, Good Friday changes our relationship with others as well. Verse 10 comes in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a context. Because we are loved by God, we can now love others. So not only does the death of Jesus, not only does Good Friday change our relationship and our standing with God vertically, but it changes our relationships horizontally as well. Look at verse 7 if you have the Bible in front of you or if it's on the screen. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. See, the death of Jesus liberates us now to love others. Instead of using others to feel loved or affirmed or accepted, we are actually free to love others and to give to them out of our fullness because we are loved. That's going to transform our horizontal relationships. Changes us and it changes our relationships because I'm secure with God. I've received everything I need from him. I don't need you to affirm me or to make me feel loved or to tell me how wonderful I am. God's already done that. And so out of that sense of that foundation of security, I can now be free to affirm and to love and to accept and to welcome you. Not to worry about the fact that you didn't greet me. Who cares? God loves you. God's greeted you. Stop worrying about who didn't greet you. Go and greet them. When others hurt or reject us, those who are loved by God can continue to love, for they are loved unconditionally and permanently by God and are secure. Isn't that wonderful? It really is a good Friday, is it not? Well, let's bow for a moment of reflection, and then I'll lead you in prayer, and then we'll uh, have communion after that. Father, thank you that because of the death of Jesus, your righteous anger has been satisfied, and our sins have been removed. Thank you for the way that you treat us. Thank you for the cross, where we are always forgiven and always accepted with no fear of judgment. Thank you that instead of pouring out wrath, you pour out grace and love and mercy. Father, I pray for those who might be here this morning who don't yet know this grace and love and mercy. Please would you welcome them in by your grace. Please would you help them to put their full weight on Jesus and to hand over the steering wheel to him of their lives. Thank you that in spite of what I have done, what Christ has done is bigger and better and more powerful. Thank you for Good Friday.
and for the hope that it gives us. And we pray this for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen.